0: Old Testament book of Ruth. You'll find it right after the book of uh, Judges, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And it's a short book, only four chapters. And uh, Lord willing, over the next couple months, we're going to go through this little book and and study what the Lord has for us in it. It's one of two books of the Bible named after a woman. Who can tell me what the other one is? Esther. Very good. And uh, Ruth is the central character of this book. And it's really her story, but more importantly, it's the story of what God did in her life. And so I've entitled the study, God's Redeeming Love. The events that are recorded in the book of Ruth, they occurred during the time of the judges. We see that in verse number one. It's that 400-year time period that we've been looking at primarily on Sunday nights off and on. And if you remember from that study, it was a time where Israel was repeatedly turning from God to worship idols. And because of that, they were experiencing God's punishment. He would send foreign armies to oppress them. After some time, uh, they would repent, and God would raise up a judge or a deliverer who would uh, free them from that oppression. For a while, they would have peace until the whole cycle would repeat again. And it would just get worse and worse and worse and worse all throughout the book. And the culture of that time is described in Judges 17 and verse number 6. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It was very much a time of spiritual anarchy. Everybody just did what they felt was right. And as we begin this study tonight, we're going to see that that's that's the setup for Ruth's story. That it, it begins with a man in Israel doing what was right in his own eyes even though it wasn't right in God's eyes. At some point during the second half of the era of Judges, this man named Elimelech, who lived in Bethlehem, made the decision to leave his home in Bethlehem, to leave the promised land, and go and live in the land of Moab with people who were not worshipers of God. He apparently thought it was the right thing to do because of the circumstances that they were in, But the results of that decision were disastrous. He did that which was right in his own eyes, but as Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Now the story of Ruth is a story all about redemption. God is a God of redemption. He can redeem a foreign widow from her destitution. He can redeem a bitter woman from her sorrow. He can redeem the sinful choices of a fearful man so that all things work together for good. By God's grace and his power, he can redeem any of us from anything. But that should never be an excuse to depart from the will of God. Instead, we must trust God through even the hardest times and obey his word even when another way may seem better to us. We're going to cover the first five verses tonight. So look with me in Ruth chapter 1, and you follow along as I read out loud. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi in the name of the two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons, and they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Melon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. The title of this lesson tonight is The Danger of Departing. The Danger of Departing. These first five verses give us a snapshot of what occurred in a ten-year period of time. A man made a decision that he thought was right, but it was not. It went contrary to the revealed will of God as given in the word of God. And the results were horrible. Notice with me <clears throat> first of all, the circumstances of this decision. Again, in verse number one, we we see the time that this story took place. It was during the time when the judges ruled. As we've studied that, we've seen how that that was an, a time of increasingly worse and worse spiritual, uh, really degradation in the culture of Israel. It just, it went from bad to worse to, can you even imagine how bad it is? In fact, this Sunday, uh, in the Sunday morning service, we're going to be looking at our next chapter in Judges, and we're going to be looking at it in Sunday morning because of the content of it. Uh, it's, it's, it's of a nature that I do not want to deal with it in the presence of very young children. Because it just, it's awful, some of the things that were going on in the book of Judges. This story takes place in the second half. We know that based on the genealogies. We can estimate uh, that uh, it was probably in the latter half of that uh, story. So it's a time when things have already gotten worse and worse. But verse number one tells us a very interesting and important fact. It says that there was a famine in the land. So before we get to the main character of the book, Ruth, we meet this Jewish man Uh, We learn later his name is Elimelech. He has a wife and two sons, and that they were faced with a very difficult circumstance. They had a real problem. There was famine. There was a shortage of food. Now, for most of us, most of our lives, we've never had to deal with a shortage of food. The closest we came to may have been 2020 when we couldn't get the kind of cereal we wanted, you know. It was a little difficult there for a while, but there was never really a point where I I don't think any of us were legitimately facing the danger of starvation. But that's what they were facing as this story begins. There was a famine in the land that made it so that it was difficult just to exist. As an agrarian culture, the Jewish people were largely dependent on the weather from month to month and from year to year. And if the weather was good with enough rain at the right times, there was plenty to eat. But if the weather was bad or the, uh, with drought or maybe damaging storms, there would be a shortage. <clears throat> and for the Old Testament Jews, the weather was very important, not only for the success of their farming, but also because it was an indicator of their spiritual condition. Now, here's the difference between where we are today and where they were then. In the Old Testament, for the nation of Israel, whether they had enough food to eat or whether they had a famine and drought was an indicator of their spiritual condition. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 11 for a moment. When When God was leading the Israelites into the promised land, He gave them many instructions, but with those instructions, He gave them certain promises. And God had promised them that if they followed him, he would send rain at the right times and they would be blessed with plenty to eat. But he also warned them that if they disobeyed, the rain would be withheld and there would be famine. Deuteronomy 11, look at verse 13. And it shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thine wine and thine oil. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. So God promises that, if you, that to the Israelites, if you obey me, I will make sure you have plenty to eat. But notice verse 16. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived and, re- and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he shut up the heaven, that there be no rain, and that the land yield not her fruit, lest ye perish quickly from off the land which the Lord giveth you. So the opposite was true. God said, if you don't obey me, I'm not going to send the rain at the right times, and you're not going to have enough food to eat. So for Elimelech and his family, the physical famine was the symptom. The cause of the problem was the spiritual apathy and the idolatry that was in the land of Israel. The physical famine was a result of a spiritual problem. Now, not every trial that we face will be a result of a particular sin that we commit, but this was. For them, it was a result of the sin of the nation of Israel. Israel was not right with God as was often the case throughout the book of Judges, and God was using this famine to try and get their attention, to get them to repent and turn to Him. God always wants to use trials in our life for our good, for whatever we might need, whether it's to learn something more about Him, to grow in some way, or maybe it is to repent of some sin. So we need to be careful when we're facing a physical problem that we don't look at it as just a physical problem. In that, there is a spiritual element of some sort. Elimelech's first mistake was thinking that their problem was only a physical problem. He looked at it and said, we don't have enough food to eat. That's our problem. We need to fix it. The bigger problem was a spiritual problem. The problem of turning away from the Lord. And because Elimelech viewed the problem as simply a physical problem and he sought to solve it through physical means that was a change in location. We'll just go somewhere else where there's more food. He ended up making the problem worse. The Bible tells us that he lived in a place called Bethlehem. What do we know Bethlehem for? Oh, little town of Bethlehem, right? There we go singing Christmas songs again. Bethlehem is most familiar for being the birthplace of Christ, but it was also the hometown of King David. That's where his mighty men went and got water from the well. And There's actually quite a few little stories in the Bible that are connected to Bethlehem, these being, this story being one of them. <clears throat> and I think it's noteworthy that the name Bethlehem literally means house of bread. House of bread. It, it, the very name was a reminder that God provides the needs of those who follow him. Elimelech didn't think about that, apparently. If he had stayed where he was, God would have taken care of him. How do we know that? Well, ten years later, when Naomi comes back, there are people still in Bethlehem that recognize her, that knew her from when she left, and now she's coming back. How did they survive? How did... Why did they not starve to death? See, God took care of them. But Elimelech thought, I've got a physical problem, I need to solve it. And he made a decision based only on the physical without even considering the spiritual. And even beyond what I've said already, God had commanded them to stay in the land. Before they entered into the promised land, God gave the Israelites very clear instructions to remain there once they had taken possession of it. Deuteronomy 12, verse number 10 says, But when you go over Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God giveth you to inherit, and when when he giveth you rest from all your enemies round about, so that ye dwell in safety. The word dwell means to stay there. Don't move around. Don't hop around. Once you get there, stay there. That was the land God had promised. God had said that this would be theirs from generation to generation. There was no need for them to leave. But Elimelech looked at his problem from the human perspective. Instead of looking to God for direction, he imagined that he could solve the problem and he imagined that life would be better in Moab. Now, he may have used reason, he may have used logic, he may have analyzed, he may have calculated, but at the end of the day, his decision was based on what he imagined would be better. Instead of relying on God by believing and obeying the truth of God's word, Elimelech did that which was right in his own eyes. I want to to point out how I phrased this, relying on God by believing and obeying. You understand that trust, faith, reliance on God is something that is very active. It's not something that's just in our head or something we say with our mouth. It's something that we do. We are truly relying on God when we believe and obey. If you are not obeying God's word, you are not relying on God in that area. It's that simple. How can you claim to believe God and rely on him, but say, I'm not going to do what he tells me to do? That's not true dependence. That's not true faith. That's why James said in James chapter 2, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Real faith will produce good works, the works of obedience to God. But that's not what Elimelech did. He evaluated, he analyzed, he calculated, and he imagined that it would be better to take this course of action than to do what God's word simply said to do, stay put and trust God. And so, he made a choice. It's Roman numeral two on our outline. <clears throat> it says, the man from Ruth one and verse number two, the, man, the name of the man was Elimelech, and his, the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. So again, Elimelech was faced with a difficult circumstance. We don't discount that. And with the famine getting worse and the threat of starvation maybe looming, he decided that he would pack up his belongings, gather his wife and his two sons, and move to the country of Moab. Moab was not a part of Israel. They were not Jewish people. They did not worship God. They were a foreign Gentile nation. So understand, here was the choice that he made. They left God's people and the place God had told them to stay to go live with a people who did not worship God and who were the enemies of God's people. He literally moved in with the enemy. Moab was not friendly to Israel, and they did not worship the true God. We can trace that strife all the way back, particularly to the book of Numbers, in the story in Numbers 17 of Balak, the king of Moab. He was the one who hired Balaam to curse the Israelites. You probably remember that story because of Balaam's donkey. He's the one, the donkey that is, that spoke up and told Balaam, Hey buddy, why are you beating me? What, why, what, what, what have I ever done to you? And what's funny to me in that story, this is a total totally aside, is that Balaam talked back to the donkey as if nothing weird had happened there, you know. So Balak had tried to hire Balaam to curse Israel. God wouldn't let Balaam curse Israel. But what Balaam did was he taught Balak Balak, how to cause the Israelites to bring God's curse upon themselves by committing immorality and worshipping idols. Numbers 31, 16. Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. When you read the story, Numbers 17 and 18, it's not immediately clear because you go from the Balaam all the way and then instantly in chapter 18, the people are committing immorality and worshiping idols and God sends a plague. It's not till you get to Numbers 31 that you find out it was Balaam who told Balak, king of Moab, here's how you can get them to bring the curse upon themselves. Send your daughters in there to tempt their sons and draw them away from worshiping the true God, and God himself will punish them. Because of this, God cursed the Moabites for their wickedness, And he commanded the Israelites to separate from them. Deuteronomy 23 and verse number 3. The Lord said, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. So God had put a curse upon the Moabites for that. And during the days of the judges, the Moabites were still a wicked people. Turn over to Judges chapter 10. Judges chapter 10. I know it had it, it, it been several hundred years since Numbers chapter 17. So you might be thinking, well, maybe they got their act together. Maybe they were, you know, worshiping God. Well, Numbers chapter 10, verse number 6, The children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam and Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria and the gods of Zidon and the gods of who? Moab. Moab and the gods of the children of Ammon, the gods of the Philistines, and forsook the Lord and served not him. So we know from a fa- for a fact during the time of Judges that the Moabites were still worshiping false gods. And all of this would have been known to Elimelech. He would have, he would have understood that those people were not God's people, yet he chose to depart from Bethlehem in the promised land with the people of God to go dwell in Moab. And I'm sure that he probably justified that choice by saying he was saving his family from the danger of physical starvation, but in reality he was exposing them to an even greater danger. And that is why it is so important that we look at life not only at the physical, but more importantly, we consider life from the spiritual aspect. Because when we make our decisions based only on physical things, material things, and if we don't factor in the spiritual component, we will inevitably make bad decisions that end up exposing us to even more danger. Elimelech exposed his family to spiritual poisoning through the evil influence of the Moabites. And no, I don't think I'm exaggerating there. You have to understand what the worship of the false gods like Baal and Ashtoreth involved. Horrible things, ritual sacrifice, human sacrifice, um, religious prostitution, all kinds of horrible things that they were going to go and immerse themselves in that culture. And listen, they weren't moving there as missionaries, okay? They were going there because they... he imagined he could solve his problem by doing that. His decision highlights the need for, need for us to carefully guard against the evil influences of the world around us. We have to make sure that we keep ourselves pure and that we separate from evil And in the words of Colossians 2.8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Never has it been easier for the devil to influence Christians with worldly philosophy. All he has to do is fill the internet with it. And naive Christians looking for answers to all kinds of life's problems Well, just Google it. And what you are getting when you do that is not a wealth of good information. It's about 1% good information and about 99% worldly philosophy. And it comes through in all kinds of ways. And if we are not careful to guard ourselves against that, if we're not spiritually mature enough and have our, our senses exercised to discern, like Hebrews talks about, we could have, we could end up being spoiled through philosophy and vain deceit. Limelech made a bad decision, but his decision did not affect him only. His whole family had to bear the consequence of his sinful choice. All right, if you're alive, raise your right hand. All right, a few of you not sure? If you're alive, raise your right hand. Keep it up. There you go. Very good. All right, you can put it down. Okay. If you just raised your hand, you have influence on someone. Somebody. Most of us, on many people. Spouses, children, grandchildren, friends, brothers, sisters, neighbors, coworkers people that we just casually meet in the grocery store, walking down the street. We all have a certain measure of influence that God has given us. And the choices that we make will not affect only us, but they can affect all of those that we influence. And Elimelech made this decision, and he had to deal with the consequences of it, but so did his wife and his sons and, in the future, his daughter-in-laws. So let's notice, thirdly, the consequences. The consequences of his choice. Verse number 3, back in Ruth chapter 1, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So the first thing we note about Elimelech's story, and this is really the first consequence, was the digression of his story that resulted from the choice that he made. He made a decision, and it started a snowball effect. And it kind of got away from him, you might say. Verse 1 tells us that he intended to sojourn in Moab. You see that? He was going to sojourn there. That means to just stay for a short while, kind of like a vacation. We're just going to go spend a few months there, a few weeks there, maybe a few months. Just through this season, you know, it's really not a lot of food here. I'm sure that this is going to get better soon. As soon as it gets better, we'll come back. We'll come back to Bethlehem. That's kind of the idea. He didn't mean to stay a very long time. He didn't leave to become a citizen. He wasn't even going to be a resident. He was just going to go visit. It was supposed to be a short-term solution. However, in verse number 2, we read that they came and they continued there. In other words, they stayed a lot longer than they thought. And then in verse number 4, we just read that Naomi ended up staying in the land of Moab for 10 years. 10 years. He didn't leave Bethlehem with a 10-year plan to stay in Moab. When they set out for Moab, Elimelech didn't think that he would spend a decade there, but that's what ended up happening. Because of his sinful choice, Elimelech and his family faced consequences for a decade that were and those consequences were far greater than he imagined they ever would have been. Here's a principle You can choose to sin, but you do not get to choose your consequences. In all of scripture, I can only think of one instance where God gave someone a choice for their consequences. And that was when King David numbered the people of Israel against, against God's will. And God came to him and said, you've got three choices. I'm punishing you, but here they are. That's the only exception. I know of no other instance where God has said to anyone, all right, you did this, what do you want for your punishment? That's not how sin works. You can choose to sin, but you do not get to choose the consequences Someone has said that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you want to pay. The law of sowing and reaping says you always reap more than you sow. And when you make a sinful decision based on the physical only and you violate the commands of the word of God, you depart from God's will, you put yourself in a greater danger than you could ever possibly imagine. When we choose to sin, we set in motion a process that we cannot stop. The consequences of getting out of God's will are often far greater than we anticipate. And listen, that is by the devil's design. He knows that if he were to tell you, alright, if you do this, here's all the bad stuff that's going to happen, you probably wouldn't do it. Instead, what he does is he tries to convince you that nothing bad's going to happen and the good that will happen is worth it. The pleasure that you might have, the, the, the temporary happiness is going to be so great that it's worth it. Isn't that what he did to Eve? She said, God told us not to eat of the tree and, or to touch it, lest we die. And what did he say? You shall not surely die. First of all, he contradicted God's clear word involving the consequences of sin. No, that's not true. But then he tried to paint for her a beautiful picture of what she would receive if she ate the fruit. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. That's how Satan operates. He always hides the consequences and tries to highlight what we might enjoy about the pleasures of sin to deceive us into departing from God's will. But here's the truth. The truth is if we depart from God's word and God's will for us, we will regret leaving. You will regret it. If you walk away from the truth of God's word, if you walk away from God's will for your life, there will come a point where you will be sorry you did it. Obedience is the place of blessing, obedience is where we ought to stay. Now, the first obvious consequence of Elimelech's decision was that he died in a place outside of God's will. What do I mean by that? I mean that he should not have been in Moab, but that's where he was and that's where he died. He was in a place outside of God's will. Death is not always the direct result of God's judgment on a specific sin. We know that all death comes because of sin. God doesn't always strike someone dead just because they sin. But for Elimelech, I am saying this, that we can say with all certainty that the place he died was not God's will for him. He was away from home. He was away from his other family. He was away from his friends. He was away from God. And that's a horrible place to end your life. He thought that he was going the right way. He thought it'll be better in Moab. I can take care of my wife and sons. We can say that's a noble goal, all we want. But he did it the wrong way. He thought that it was right, and as Proverbs sixteen twenty five says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, because that's where sin always leads. Sin always leads to death. James one verses fourteen and fifteen. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Not just discomfort, not just dissatisfaction, death. That's the result of sin. The next consequence of Elimelech's decision was that Malon and Chilion were influenced by the Moabites. How do we know that? You're a smart class. You tell me. Married them. Pretty clear. Got to get pretty close to somebody to want to marry them. We know that this was not God's will because God's law had stipulated clearly they weren't supposed to do that. Deuteronomy 28 said, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you this day, that all these curses come upon thee and overtake thee, cursed thou shalt be in the city, and cursed thou shalt be in the field. And then verse thirty two, thy sons and thy daughters shall be given unto other people, and thine eyes shall look, and fail with longing for them all the day long, and there shall be no might in thine hand. God said that if you to the Israelites, if you turn from me and you don't obey me, your sons and your daughters will be given to other people. What happened to Elimelech's sons? They were given to other people. That was not God's will. Now, some of you who know the story of Ruth, you may be wondering, because you're smart, well, then why was it okay for Boaz to marry Ruth? Spoiler alert, that's what happens later. And I'll answer this now, and we'll revisit later, but it's because in the meantime, Ruth became a follower of Jehovah. She became a proselyte. She became one of God's people. But at this point, that hadn't happened yet. For Malon and Chilion to marry heathen women was wrong. Now God used these events in Ruth's life to bless her, to bring her to salvation, but that does not justify their wrong actions. Just because God is so sovereign and so mighty that he can take the worst situation and turn it around for good, it does not justify the sin that we commit. God's grace must never be used as an excuse for sin. Paul said in Romans 6.1, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? As we think about what happened with Malon and Chilion, we're reminded that one of the most compelling reasons we have to stay in the will of God and to follow the word of God is the influence that we have on others, particularly Our children. The next generation is watching and is learning. And whether we realize it or not, people are watching us and following us. And if we choose to get out of God's will, it will affect others, just like it did Elimelech's sons. As a consequence of Elimelech's choice, his sons also died outside of the will of God. Now, I'm not going so far as to say God killed them for their actions. I can't say that from Scripture. But what I can say from scripture is that where they died was not where God wanted them to be. They were in the land of Moab, married to heathen women. And then the final consequence of Elimelech's decision was that his wife Naomi was left widowed and without any sons. She was left with no one to take care of her. Don't miss the irony here. Elimelech left Bethlehem and took his family to Moab, thinking he was going to provide for them all of their physical needs. And what happened? His sons die, and his wife is left destitute with no one to take care of her. He left the will of God to try and provide the physical needs for his family, only to have the physical and spiritual needs go unmet. And what happened to him and his family in Moab was even worse than what he had feared would happen to them in Bethlehem. He thought he was protecting his family, but he ended up endangering them. And so we're left with nothing positive to say about Elimelech because he did not take care of his most important responsibility, his responsibility to his wife and his children. First Timothy 5.8 says that if any provide not for his own, especially those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And a lemon-like story is a reminder to us that trusting yourself always has bad consequences. Always. A certain course of action may seem like the best idea to you, but if it's not God's way, it's the wrong way. If it's not God's way, it's the wrong way. And it will end in disappointment, disaster, and ultimately death. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Elimelech made a poor decision leaving the promised land to go to the land of Moab. And while we might say, well, he did it for the right reason, he was sincere, he was wrong. It was a decision based solely on human reasoning and fleshly wisdom. He did not consider the spiritual repercussions that it would have on his family. And as a result, he and his sons died in that foreign land, and his wife was left all alone. Now, these are the events that set the stage for the story of Ruth. God's going to take this terrible circumstance and He's going to turn it around for good in the life of Naomi and Ruth. And ultimately, Ruth will find herself in the lineage not only of King David, but of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. God is able to redeem us from the worst, but that should never be used as an excuse to sin. It is better to make right choices and enjoy God's blessing than to make sinful choices and endure the painful consequences. We must not be guided by our own reason or feelings. Instead, we must follow God's instructions and God's directions. Let's pray together as we close. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be very mindful of the danger of departing from your word and your will. It's so easy when we're going through difficult times to lean on our own understanding, to make decisions based on human reasoning, to do what seems right in our own eyes without ever even considering what your will is. Lord, I pray that we would be very careful to follow the Holy Spirit's leading in our life as he guides us through the word of God applying the commandments and principles of Scripture to everyday life so that the decisions that we make are decisions that are right and decisions that are honoring You. And Lord, we we thank You that You have promised to bless us for that. You could have demanded obedience without ever promising us a reward, but in Your goodness and Your grace, You allow us the privilege and the joy of following You and receiving the blessings and the benefits along the way. Help us to be thankful for that, Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.